0: Um, I'd like to welcome you all to uh, Let's Talk, Iowa City's historic downtown. Um, We're pleased with the turnout. It's a busy day in Iowa City, and we see that a lot of you understand the importance of having an interesting and a vibrant downtown. My name is Jenilee Swaim, and I'm the chair of the Iowa City Historic Preservation Commission. And the commission comprises 12 citizens who are appointed by the city council, and we represent various historic districts and the larger community. There's a lot of kickback on this. Are you hearing that too? Sounds okay? I'll I'll persevere. Um, The commissioners volunteer their time to identify and designate historic districts and landmarks, and we review applications uh, for exterior changes in historic districts. Some of you may have Uh, gone through that if you're doing some changes on your houses in historic districts. Uh, We make recommendations to the city council and boards and commissions, and in general, we encourage and celebrate preservation in all of its wonderful forms. So this is a kickoff, to use a fall football term, of our historic and architectural survey for our downtown. And first off, for funding the survey, we'd like to um, thank the Iowa City City Council. (laughs) as well as the National Trust for Historic Preservation. And thanks also to the Englert for allowing us to have this good conversation in a wonderful building. Um, it's my pleasure tonight to introduce Alexa McDowell. for She'll be conducting the survey in the following months. Alexa is an architectural historian and the owner of AK Consulting in Minneapolis. She got her bachelor's in art and design at Iowa State. Please don't boo. I wasn't gonna say anything. Uh, Did you not see the result of the football game last weekend? I was watching it with my daughter, it was a (laughs) painful. Not for us. (laughs) A master's in architectural studies with an emphasis in preservation and postgraduate work in history as well, all at Iowa State. She has worked at all levels of preservation, and that gives her a special kind of expertise from serving on local commissions like ours to helping found a grassroots uh, nonprofit in Perry, Iowa that helped uh, save and see to the rehabilitation of historic buildings today to today, working with communities throughout the Midwest in intensive level surveys, uh, nominations to the National Register, tax credit applications and pertinent to our kind of work today, placing on the National Register commercial downtown districts in Fort Dodge, Belle Plaine, Newton, Northwood, and Mason City, to name a few Iowa communities that have benefited from her work. But equally important to all this expertise, Alexa is skilled at helping a community understand its past and helping that community ask itself the challenging questions about its future. Please help me welcome Alexa McDowell. Thank you.
1: Perhaps I shouldn't have uh, revealed to begin with that I'm a cyclone, but, but I trust that you'll forgive me that. I'm really happy to be here. I did uh, grow up in Iowa. I'm a Fort Dodge girl, and have lived a lot of my life in uh, Iowa. kind of went back and forth. I did spend a rather, let's see, inauspicious semester at the University of Iowa where I think I garnered all of six credits and completed the entire John Jake's Civil War series while sitting by the banks of the river. So... Um, Many years later, here I am, so I really do um, appreciate the fact that I have this opportunity to work in Iowa City. Um, I think it's very obvious to people who come here that we're in a special place. Um, Having gone to school at Iowa State, I'm very familiar with the difference between the two campuses, and in particular the difference between how the campuses relate to the community and the overlapping of those populations, which is really a wonderful thing, but it also creates an entire layer of challenges, which is a little bit of part of what we'll talk about. Um, My, uh, I'm gonna gonna be, this is is another true fact. I am so uncoordinated that I cannot handle a remote and a mic at the same time uh, without falling off the stage. So uh, Jessica is going to help me with that, so if you'll go on to the next slide please. Can you guys see over me or is it better for me to sit down? Now, these people are trying to see around me. Um, what we're going to do tonight, I am going to stand down here, is um, we want to talk about the project that's underway. and. If you haven't heard about it, um, basically, this is an update of a a survey and evaluation project that was done in 2001. In that um, project, Marla Svensson, who's a wonderful architectural historian who worked in this state for many years, um, prepared an evaluation. She looked at the historic buildings in the downtown, a larger area than encompasses the current project. She evaluated all of those for their ability to be eligible for the National Register, either individually or as a contributing resource to a potential historic district. And she created a report that outlined her findings. created a really wonderful background, history about the growth of the downtown based on um, the early history of this community. And she made recommendations about what should happen from there. The timing was such that little happened from that. So at this point, the timing is new. There is renewed interest in the downtown and preserving its historic resources while allowing for the eventuality of evolution. Uh, and so we've returned to uh, taking a look at that area again, again, a smaller area, and that's what the survey project is about. So the first component is looking at the buildings again and determining whether or not a historic district still remains. Whether or not what the boundaries of that historic district might be, whether there are individual properties that are not yet listed on the national register but should be listed on the national register. Um, the other big part of this, uh, let me tell you about the project area first. And th- so this is our um, the boundaries of the current project area. So we have Iowa Street on the north, Burlington on the south, Washington or excuse me, Gilbert on the east, and Clinton on the west. Um, and there's been a lot of change in that area, so uh, that's part of the uh, project itself. The other thing that we know is very important is there are a lot of complex issues um, in any community. And I think, um, and more so in Iowa City perhaps, because it's a growing community, because the university is here, because the proximity of the university and the population is associated with the university, because of the um, really incredible and very important collection of historic buildings that are in this community. And so part of um, a a really big important part of this project is to talk to people, to hear varying perspectives, to um, gather those impressions and those ideas and those views and visions of the future, and um, create a recommendation in a report form again that um, tries to help pave the way or set a course for the future. Um, And again, that's the summary report, so the pieces of that will be recommendations about National Registry eligibility and and how we progress from there. The the presentation tonight is going to um, focus on these various things. One is to think about historic character. What defines historic character? What does that mean? In the commercial downtown, what are the various elements of the downtown? Not just the buildings, but the streets and the vegetation and the people, the activity, you know, um, nodes of gathering, those sorts of things that help define this particular downtown. We're going to talk about the identity of the spaces, the inevitability of change, and we're also going to talk about sustainability, and we're going to take plenty of time to, to talk to ask questions, to have discussion about um, these items and um, I- anything that you feel you'd like to contribute so that this process is as full and complete as possible. So, in the spirit of disclosure, I don't know why I thought this was important, but I do think that there is a preconceived notion that if you're a preservationist, that you believe that everything should be preserved. I don't take that position. What I believe is, is that the historic character of this town, the character of this town, the downtown, rests solidly on its historic buildings. And that approaching the future, um, preservation of historic buildings and the historic character has to be at the center of that. But I also believe in evolution. I believe that good architectural design will be important and part of the historic fabric in 50 years. And that if I was alive in 50 years and doing this project, that those buildings I'd evaluate and think that they belonged and they were a part of the historic fabric. I know that to be true. Um, I won't go through all of these, but what I wanted you to understand from that is, is that, that There are many ways of looking at these things and in order to look at them, we have to be honest and open about all of the different positions and all of the different possibilities and the um, potential conflicts and the challenges that, that are part of preservation, a part of a downtown. So these are the things specifically that we want to address about historic character. Age of a building architectural style, scale, proportion, form, and continuity or context. And the reason that I pull those out is, is that when when we look at a historic downtown and we try to decide whether or not it's eligible for the National Register, those are the things that I look at. Um, they're also the things that I look at when um, I think about, okay, there's um, a potential for new development. How is it that we integrate new development into a historic setting and have it be appropriate? And these are the the touchstones for uh, analyzing that kind of new um, construction into an existing context. So change, right? This is a uh, circa 1854, Uh, I think that's Iowa Avenue. And you can see We're a long way from that, right? And there are lots of things about this particular uh, historic character that, um, that we can identify and use as touchstones as we think about how things evolved over time. So when you look at an early streetscape like this, you're not surprised that we don't see cars and that the roads aren't paved. The other thing that I encourage you to look at is that there's very little vegetation, and that has something to do with how that space feels, right? The, the buildings um, are a variety of heights and shapes. So some of those early buildings had kind of a, a Dutch sort of influence or Flem- Flemish influence. Um, the three-story here at the front is the one that I'm looking at in particular. Um, But but we have a lot of these wood frame buildings, one stories that are to the foreground. Those were the early constructions, you know, communities all over the state of Iowa, they used the resources at hand when they started throwing up their first buildings, and those were by and large wood frame unless you live someplace like Anamosa, where limestone was prevalent and it was easy to get to. But as communities, towns, downtowns grew, and there was more wealth, more population, then you started seeing the wood frame buildings disappear, or they burnt down before that point, and they were replaced with brick. So here we have um, a downtown street in the 1880s. And you can see wood frames, uh, by and large, gone. I can't tell for sure if in this next block, maybe there's one left in there. But primarily, by the 1880s, the visual character of downtown Iowa City had really settled into itself. Even without vegetation, cars, and paved streets, we can see a sense of continuity. The the downtown commercial buildings were built to abut each other. Um, Obviously, that's about money and making use of land space. They were uh, two and three-story buildings tall. They were by and large um, influenced by the Victorian-area Italianate style. We do have a mansard roof here, which is a little um, kick from the French. Um, But by and large, uh, we had a contiguous, um, well-orchestrated growth of a commercial street. Here we go, this is Gilbert. And we can see the, the building that I always, um, my eye always goes to is the one that has the beautiful, beautiful neoclassical front, has a pediment. Okay. But the, I'm sorry, you're right, this is Clinton. Thank you for, for uh, correcting me. I, thank you, I appreciate that. Yes, Clinton Street. And we're looking to the north right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So at any rate, here we have, a, a, again, we have a series of contiguous masonry buildings, um, three stories, and very little variation in height. Um, there is some with the addition of the attic level, and the pediment on that neoclassical building adds some height there. Um, and as we see, it was adjacent to the churches at that time. Go ahead. So here we are on College Street. See? I'm from Iowa State. Did I tell you that part? So here we are on Washington Street, and, of course, we have the Ingler. Englert was built in, what, 12, 13? Say that again? 1912, thank you. And this is the Helen Paul or Paul Helen building next to it, Helen Paul. So, Paul Helen. Thank you. It was like multiple people were saying it, so it was coming at the same. At any rate, so here we have. uh, The point being is, is that after the turn of the 20th century, that sense of continuity only increased. It became prevalent on all of the streets of the downtown. The difference that we begin seeing here, and this is a pretty good example, the building clear to the right, which is a grocery store, still has the tall, narrow windows that mark it um, in the uh, Italianate era. So it dates to pre 1900, 1880 era. Hall Helen building post dates it and you begin to see the neoclassical or commercial classical influence in a very simplified cornice area the the windows are banded or grouped together so um, but we see this evolution we also start seeing the change in the buggies which are the precursors to the automobile, and are any of those, Lyle, or any of those cars? My, this is my, uh, my automobile expert in the second row here. So, progression though, evolution, um, but the continuity, the height, the scale and proportion of one to the other is intact. So, here we have a really great, I think, Um, comparison in terms of eras and one that marks a shift in that continuity of style, proportion, and um, to some degree height. The building on the corner, which was First National Bank building, right, Um, is really a two-story building, but it's constructed in such a way that the first and second stories are Equal, and as opposed to having storefronts, um, the windows are configured to um, service the bank function. The building um, has a flat roof with a very simple cornice. If you look to the right, we still have those very elaborate cornices that are indicative of the Italianate period. We still have that continuity, and at the end, if I'm right, we have this old city hall, and that's something we've lost. Um, And that was a a, um, mammoth footprint, I mean, a a large building of an early period that I think dated it to 1881 and was demolished. Does anybody know the year of the demolition? 68. So... By the 1930s, this is a good view because it gives us both of the streetscapes, um, but th- by the 1930s, we can see with paving the addition of parking, the amount of traffic, the signage, um, that, and, and even the light fixtures, begins to change the sense of that character. I mean, if you imagine yourself in that first image, It feels very different than standing on the street, Washington, in the 1930s. Um, But again, the continuity sense of scale is relatively intact. This is uh, the 1960s, and even here, which again is Washington, um, we have a sense of continuity and scale, but if you'll notice, the thing that's really changing is the flatness of the facades. So the Italianate, which we still see a lot on what college on the Ped Mall um, there are several examples examples that still remain with that beautiful elaborate cornice this these all have a very flat face and that's a you know a precursor to the modern era by the mid um, 20th century though the second building over which I can't read the name of that sign Vare? Var Does someone know the name of that building? Le, okay um, that's a very modern building. Now I didn't date that building so I can't tell you when it was constructed, but I would date that facade to the mid-20th century, 1950-ish. And so the visual character in terms of style has begun to change. The feeling of being in that space is very different than it was in the 1850s than it was in the 1880s because of the change in the style of the buildings, the change in the um, traffic patterns, the prevalence of the auto, and the paving of the streets. And here's another of the 1970s, and we are on Clinton, Um, looking across the street again. And this is a very intact um, facade, streetscape facade. We lost the building, on the end, which is now where the bookstore is, correct? Um, And what, that must have been dates to 1920s, the bookstore. Um, And so that's a long-standing sort of uh, streetscape. This, this I think, is a a good side-by-side because I think the Astro, I swear that was in Fort Dodge, just exactly like that. The sign was the same and that cladding, that um, curtain wall that they put over. And this is an is example of how the character of a community changes when there's loss and what replaces what is lost is less than um, what we lost, right? So the building that's hidden behind there or that was replaced entirely was undoubtedly, in my humble opinion, something that was far more beautiful than the Astro Theatre and its gold facade but still we maintain this continuity of buildings and if I'm uh, got my orientation straight this is where Beatology is on the far right and the empty lot is where City Hall was okay thank you and this is uh, gives us a view of uh, downtown today And so what we see is the new constructions that are uh, 21st century constructions, so the Sheraton is the end of the 20th century, but we see them as a backdrop now. Um, They become a part of um, creating a canvas um, upon which the historic part of the downtown um, kind of rests against. And again, this block has changed quite a bit, but in terms of scale, form, um, and continuity, it's pretty well intact. The historic styles have been modified significantly over time. So, identity of spaces. So we talked about the buildings, the streets a little bit, vegetation, activity, and people. And in Iowa City, we go back to this view, which is um, Iowa, looking to the east. Um, it's a very rural feeling, a very park-like setting, which in, par- in, in part is retained by the Pentacrest. So having the Pentacrest there helps maintain that s- sense of a park-like setting. Um, that's kind of reiterated in the Ped Mall, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the sense of space here is also about the width of that road. And that road stays wide. I can't say that I know how much of that's been altered over time, but all you have to do is stand there and know that it's that it's wider than a typical roadway, right? Um the addition of sidewalks and um, boulevard and those kind of things alter how we experience that. But the retention of Iowa as a wide street helps maintain a sense of the historic integrity of space that is um, part of the entire sense of historic integrity. So my point being that all of the components, building, space, vegetation, the roads, together um, create this sense of historic integrity. I thought this was funny. These are the engineers. They look like they're about as wild as any engineer I've ever seen. They're a serious crew. So here we are on Clinton again looking to the south. There's that beautiful building. I just can't quit looking at it. Um, really a beautiful building. Um, the downtown let me, let me just say, I've talked to a lot of people so far, and I hope to talk to a lot more people. And, and there are many common threads in those conversations that I've had, but one common thread is that having people downtown and that being a mix of people is really important. And everybody recognizes that, that the um, long-term economic success of a downtown Um, Will result in our ability to save its historic buildings to have a vibrant retail life to um, Have community gather together and be in a place where they feel like community And so the people are really at the heart of all of those other things being successful This is a great um, aerial view that illustrates multiple things. One is the density of the downtown. So there are a lot more holes now than are represented in this image, um, but it still remains a relatively dense downtown. Um, in other places, um, on the fringes by Burlington, there is some large-scale growth that is reflected uh, in terms of density. But it also shows that long-standing and very important relationship between the Pentecrest, the University of Iowa, and the downtown. This would be when Iowa State beat Iowa. No, the, the, Iowa wouldn't be celebrating, would they? This was when Iowa beat Yale in 1922. Um, I don't. Do you guys ever do this? You stand by a building, and you know it's a building you've seen. I don't know every day. It's nothing that's new to you, and then you see a picture like this, and you go, "Wow, my goodness, that building is so." Um, old but also beautiful and the story that it told when it's built is so different than the story it tells today but in the same breath kind of the same story do you know what i mean is that weird but when i look at this and and i see the buildings downtown you know you walk these streets and you look at some of these buildings and and it helps me put into perspective how important it is that something lasts because so few things last. Um, And so the joy that's in these streets because the Iowa football team beat Yale, and I don't even know how much, but it's so real. And it brought um, to me um, really the meaning and the importance of historic buildings, historic spaces as memory makers. I just thought this was funny. Um, These little carts were all over. the. Perry had one of these, and and, uh, the popcorn lady um, popped popcorn every Friday night, and everybody from town came downtown and had popcorn, and that's what these people were doing. So, you know, we have our um, food carts. Do they do that here in Iowa City? They're doing the booth. So, food carts are this hot thing. Well, you know, somebody had that idea a long time ago, and here they are in, in their you know 1900 garb, maybe before that, standing in the spot where we stand to get food at the food cart. Um, continuity of time. But again, the point is that these places, over such a long period of time, have been a place where people come because they're happy to be there. And here they are. The, the Ped Mall is a phenomenon, do you know that? It's a, I wish I knew what the statistics were of how many Ped Malls were created in the 1960s and 1970s that failed. Do you, many, you know how many of these have been reversed because it was the worst idea in the history of their community? And yet here is this place that is life you know, it's, um, it draws people, it is intimate in its setting. When you're there, you feel like you're outside, but you're inside. Um, it's really a special place. And there would have been a, a day when we would have thought, oh my, they're tearing all those buildings down. They're tearing, they're closing the street you know I I don't know what I would have been saying I would have been throwing up my arms and saying that's a really bad idea you're gonna regret it and lots of people did but it worked here and it's a real asset to the downtown and it's certainly central to the historic character Um, it's a very difficult to get pictures of the Ped mall in the summer Um, I borrowed this from Bobby Jett I think put so many wonderful pictures on Facebook but um, But it's an inviting place and when it's hot in the summer, people gather there. Um, I don't know all of the festivals that you guys do here, but I know that when my daughter was here this summer taking pictures of the buildings downtown, she stood and took pictures of, um, like maybe it wasn't right on the Ped Mall, but these chalk artists had done these crazy wonderful amazing images and she photographed them and sent them to me and said can you believe this and there are people all over the place and those sorts of things are the character of downtown iowa city that are embraced by the historic buildings that are there so Change is inevitable. I mean, there's just no getting around of it. Some some of it is uncontrollable. Some of it is controllable. You guys made it through a tornado. You know what that did to your downtown. Um, I don't have any pictures of that, but there are plenty pictures of fires. And there is not much to be done about those sorts of things um, once they happen. Obviously, fire prevention is a much um, more refined science than it once was. Um, but fires uh, take buildings, and they often, when you have contiguously constructed commercial buildings, takes more than one. So here we have an example of a major fire, and the good news is, that's what we got. So the Hotel Jefferson was built in 1913, I think. Beautiful building, and it anchors that downtown, creates a really important anchor to that streetscape, um, with the bank on the other end. Um, that's one thing I always think about with this historic preservation, is, is that I always ask, if we're gonna lose something, what are we getting in its place? For a long time, what we got in its place was a parking lot. Um, that happened everywhere. This is just another view of the Hotel Jefferson. The streetscape, the buildings between the hotel and the bank have changed since that, um, right, the period after the hotel was built. But the streetscape stays intact. And much more recently, what year was that when Brugge was burned and you lost all those buildings on that L shape? Not very, five years ago? Ten years ago? Five? Five? Um, and you know, an old, an old building, maybe not sprinklered, um, and you know, I don't know what the what caused that. But um, what we ended up with was new construction, and um, obviously something had to go there. And I have no problem with any of these buildings. The one thing that I'll point out about these buildings, when we think back to my diatribe about. Um, contiguous buildings and the relationship of proportion and form in terms of alignment of the first story alignment of the second story this does not do that and I I don't know why why that was you know when you've got multiple property owners those sorts of things happen there are all sorts of things at play but it is a point of Education, I think, when we talk about understanding what um, what historic integrity is, what historic character is, and how loss of context impacts a streetscape. So I think these buildings individually are all interesting and contribute to the downtown, but there is a breach of historic integrity as a result of loss of the historic building and construction of new buildings that... Um, don't follow historic proportion scale and uh, continuity. Urban renewal, it's a dirty word. In Minneapolis, there was a, what they called the Metropolitan Building, and if you can imagine the biggest red stone building you've ever seen—one of those where the where the stones are bigger than if I laid down—you know, they're they're mammoth stones—and um, they that was in the area they called Skid Row. And it was the gateway area. It became derelict. They decided if they could tear the metropolitan down, the whole area would turn around, right? Well, about, I don't know, three months later, they still couldn't get that building down. It was so well built. It's phenomenal. It is a story of the ages in Minneapolis preservation world about how stubborn that building was. And I think a lot of us got some joy out of thinking how frustrated the people were that were trying to take it down. But it was a a mammoth undertaking. What happened was they ended up leveling blocks and blocks of historic buildings to get the bums out of that area. Now, you know, they homeless people went and lived someone else, somewhere else, which is a logic I've never figured out why no one figured that out. but. Um, So anyway, the Metropolitan Building is one example in a big city setting of urban renewal. But urban renewal, you guys know, it was everywhere. And it seemed at the time, I'm sure, to be the right answer to a series of problems or issues that were being faced. Um, Finances... um, buildings that are being uh, dilapidated they become a hazard to people Um, you know communities trying to make something positive out of a situation that they don't really know what to do with and so in Iowa City these came down these came down and what'd you get Capitol Mall and I don't. I haven't really asked anybody, but I don't think the Capitol Mall. If in hindsight, any of you would trade the Capitol Mall, in terms of its success, um, its architecture, um, I don't know. And and um, I, I shouldn't even say it that way because I don't want to offend anybody. Because I really do people believe that people to make the best decisions based on what they know at the time. The point is, is today, in hindsight, as preservationists, we wish we still had those buildings. Am I alone in that? Okay. Next. Thank you. And this is demolition, and I I don't, um, I didn't identify, though, I'm sure that they exist because the holdings of historic images of Iowa City buildings is... Mind blowing! It's so wonderful. Um, so what I was going to say is, I, I don't have an image of the buildings that were here, but these are the build. This is the site of the um, Plaza Center One, and this is it going up with the Hotel Jefferson right behind it. Um, to me today, this building because of its setting. With the trees and the Ped Mall is um, and I have no idea how it is in terms of success as a economic growth factor how it does for retail but it's a sensibility wise and character wise because it's now a part of the Ped Mall and and it and that sense of intimacy is not negatively impacted by that building so um I feel better from a preservation point of view about that one but it was a loss. I don't know. Does anybody know how many buildings were lost to build that half a block, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quarter of a block they said. But here it is today and again the you know the um landscaping it's you know a wonderful com- community space and the trees um prevent it from being kind of up front and center, but again, in what, 25 years? Let's see, it's 25, it's almost 50 years old. In 10 years, it will be historic. And uh, if there was a new survey, we'd be taking a picture of it and including it with the historic buildings and talking about the importance of its architecture. That's the fact. So the automobile is also another thing that impacts Iowa uh, communities and communities across the country. like lots of things the automobile is a mixed blessing right I mean I'd love to drive it drives I mean I'll go for a couple days and go okay I go to Iowa again because I love to drive but at the same time it made a lot of changes in our communities in terms of how we relate to buildings and space um, congestion you know we know we all know um, the various factors and it's, it continues to be an impact here I think it's then um, we can talk about this if you want but pretty well controlled by um, you know speed zones my friends who live in Iowa City say don't speed in Iowa City they'll get you and so I never do not one mile over do I ever speed in Iowa City and so I think that that's effective and then also all of the pedestrians people are used to watching so perhaps it's less of an issue in Iowa City than in some places Again, this is that same view, but it just shows the, um, the backdrop and the changing views. So these are kind of the things that I want to talk about a little bit um, as, a, as a point of conversation. And I really do want this to be more about conversation. But these are the things that I want to touch on um, and then and wherever it takes us. But I went to a conference in um, Sioux City couple months ago that was put on by Main Street, Iowa, and they talked a lot about um, what makes uh, downtowns vital now. You know, the impact of the millennials, by the way, is very big um, point of study in vital downtowns. Um, the role that millennials have to play in populating a downtown, to assuming roles in um, protecting historic resources. Their sense of interest in the real and the authentic um, is beginning to show itself in communities all over the country. One of the speakers said this, and it really hit me, and that is that unique doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't stay that way by accident. Lots of towns are looking for a hook, right? They're looking for a hook, a way to get people downtown. You guys don't have that problem. You don't have that problem at all. Iowa City downtown is unique. So you got that in spades. But it won't stay unique by accident. That's in your hands. Oh, that was an accidental wave. That was my overactive hands. The other thing that I think is important to acknowledge is that there's a perception that there are opposing forces. Um, And I think that it's important to abolish that idea and to recognize that everybody has the best interests of downtown in mind. Everybody wants a vital downtown. I haven't spoken to anybody who doesn't recognize that the historic buildings downtown are important. And I also think that people also understand that, that evolution happens. And that this conversation between all kinds of voices is what's necessary um, in order to um, devise an approach so that your unique stays unique. Um, I also think it's important to understand that there are economic pressures that are very real. Historic buildings are a challenge. They can be a challenge. There are also tools to help people rehabilitate and maintain historic buildings. Historic tax credits have been a phenomenal success in the state of Iowa, from small projects to enormous projects. And those are a, a, an amazing tool. The city of Iowa City, I understand, has um, some CDBG funds that they use to um, help historic rehabilitations. There are tools out there, and there are also people who understand how to get through the complexities of those programs, which I'll be the first person to tell you, historic tax credit programs programs can be challenging the, the application process, but um, they are also a very important effective tool to preserving historic downtowns. And the last thing is this idea of bringing people together of, of a variety, a cross-section of people, the, the literary community here, the arts community, the preservationists, the retailers, the students, the retirees and everything in between have a place in downtown. And I think there's a lot of that at play already to bring people to downtown. And I think that people are looking for other ways to assure that that grows, continues to embrace different um, cross-sections of the community. But there is no doubt that vitality is connected to people being there, right? So before we open up to questions, I just want to thank a few people um, that, you know, first of all, the Iowa, the City of Iowa City, and I won't call out anybody by name because I was asked not to, but there are individuals who work really hard on specific projects, including this one. Um, generally introduced the Historic Preservation Commission, and I just want to underscore that People who serve on the historic preservation commission devote a lot of time and energy to um, to evaluating and doing everything they can to protect the historic resources of their community, and um, they deserve a lot of credit. I didn't put on here, and I should have the Friends of Historic Preservation, which are also a, they're a nonprofit group separate from the city of Iowa City, but they work very hard to. Um, to contribute to the historic character, to preserve historic buildings, and what's the name of the building that you moved? The house? The the Hauser Metzger Metzger House. And I came to know about them actually because Cedar Rapids has a um, kind of an equivalent, they call it Save CR Heritage, and they moved a small house and did a rehabilitation, and the folks here in Iowa City have Um, kind of back and forth shared efforts and information and materials um, so that both of those projects can be a success. I also wanted to um, thank the people that I've spoken to so far and the people that I'll speak to. Um, People are very open and interested in talking about how they feel about that town, downtown, what they see as their vision for downtown, what they see as the challenges, and they take time out of um, their busy schedules to do that. And so I really, really appreciate that. Um, The other thing, and I mentioned this, is the, the images are just amazing what a treasure and if you you probably you guys probably all know this but the public library has a digital database the University of Iowa has a digital database I use that from Minneapolis um, the Iowa digital database and have for years Um, the Iowa State Historical Society here their offices and been here for many years Mary Bennett is the keeper of those images and she's like uh, Um, done such a wonderful job of organizing that information and um, I appreciate that because it's really um, a very important research tool and it gives us a chance to do what I told you before where all of a sudden I go oh look at that lady in the dress down her feet and standing by a horse I stood there today. It helps me put that into perspective and um, lastly I thank you for coming here tonight. And um, I welcome um, all of the thoughts and things that you want to offer up tonight. The way that we'll handle this is we're going to have two folks with microphones. And if you'll just raise your hand, they will come to you. We'll see if that works all right. And how much time do we have, Bob? 20 minutes, half hour? So we got plenty of time. So does anybody want to jump in and be the first? I'm going to be really embarrassed if no one has a question so take pity on me I'll think it's because I'm a cyclone I'm, I'm not really a cyclone they're gonna head right out there grabbing the mics for you oh and um, before you speak if you could st- stand up if you can and say your name we want we do want this to be a conversation so we want to know who we're speaking with please
0: I'm Maeve Clark, I work at the Public Library, so thank you very much. Keep using our... Can you hear me now? My name is Maeve Clark and I work at the Public Library, so thank you for crediting us for our digital images. What's the time frame of this?
1: When do you plan on being done? So let me tell you that so far what we've done is photographed all of the historic buildings downtown in the project area. We have um, looked at all of the existing Iowa site forms to determine whether or not there have been any alterations to the buildings. Those that are are essentially the way they were when that initial survey was done; those are pretty well done. There are some that are a little complicated because there were questions about their history or. Um, there's some significant changes. We'll be doing that. So a big chunk of the, that on the, on the ground stuff is done. Um, there will be two more, probably two more presentations, certainly one at the end of the project in the spring talks about the results, and you'll all be invited. Um, and then we'll do, we believe, another one um, in the middle there somewhere. Um So what we're looking at is to have the report and the final work done by March. And then there may be some follow-up. Bob, did you have something else you want to add about that? Is there um, will the final results be made available to the public at the time I submitted, or is there something that comes after that? Okay, so as soon as I'm done, the city will make it available.
2: Hi, thank you very much. I think this is a great initiative. My name is Glenn Erstein. Uh, Some of you know me already. I teach here on campus. I teach German. And for about three years now uh, running, I've been involved in a project on uh, reconstructing German immigration to the state. And one of the things that I've been doing with my students is uh, putting them onto stories of immigrants to Iowa City, and looking into uh, local German-language newspaper. So I'll also put in a plug for the Shishi, if you will, the State Historical Society Collections that Mary Bennett uh, curates uh, and organizes. Um, there are um, German-language newspapers. I lived here for 20 years before I realized that Iowa City over time had three different German-language newspapers, and there were Czech uh, newspapers here in town as well that all pertain to the 19th century uh, immigration context and historic downtown um, when you look at those uh, newspapers one of the things that jumps out immediately are advertisements for local businesses so um, you know, we have records of, in German, Moses' Bloom, one-price pli- clothing store on Clinton Street, Weatherby Gallery, uh, Weatherby's Gallery, in German, advertising in German, and, of course, all the breweries, uh, which are not necessarily in your survey um, district. Um, in any case, I would be happy to, if you're interested in uh, German language materials, I would actually encourage you to... Um, provide perhaps some um, German language materials, Czech language materials to indicate the relevance of these buildings for uh, immigration context as well. Anything that you could do to point out the diversity of the community um, I think would be very welcome. So African American participation uh, and business owners downtown also just um, helping to understand the relevance of the 19th century immigration context for the contemporary immigration context as well, including linguistic comini- communities, um, Spanish speakers, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, who are otherwise not easily visible. Um, and then I'll just close by putting in a plug. This is really perhaps something for after the survey uh, and maybe something more for the uh, Chamber of Commerce downtown, but I know that the um, The university and specifically the Iowa's Writer Workshop and the uh, IWP as part of the um, Iowa City, as City of Literature, they have a a walking tour app that you can download to your iPhone. And um, it, you know, indicates the the importance of certain um, sites downtown and in uh, the local neighborhoods. I do believe there are some downtown structures that are part of that. Um, so it might be worth looking and uh, reaching out to um, some of the um, university people involved with that. And I think that would be an excellent thing to put together after the survey, so that anyone visiting the community could really walk around downtown and just download this app and. You know, it would be the walk rather than, I mean, you could put up signs on the facades, of course, but um, you can provide a lot more information using that walking tour. And I just forgot to mention if you need someone to actually read some of the Czech materials from the 19th century Czech newspapers in town, Bob Miklo might be interested in putting his Czech skills to use. That's all. Thank you very much.
1: That last one must be a joke because Bob's (laughs) going. Thank you for those ideas and and we are taking down information and ideas that people offer, so the, I think those are both really good ideas, so we'll be sure to, to look at those um, the 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 German newspaper that's very it had never occurred to me that's great. who
3: else? Hi, my name's Karen Cubby, I co-own Beatology Iowa, and I'm a member of the downtown district, the Iowa City downtown district. And I'm really interested in making sure that your report doesn't sit on a shelf and, and gain dust. So I'm very interested if your recommendations will have some recommended next action steps, specifically for me, because I also believe in this evolution and I'm not as afraid of density. But if density is not In context of the historic buildings and and really negatively impedes upon the streetscape at the pedestrian level that can be a negative impact from my perspective and so I'm hoping that in your recommendations you might have some ways other communities have allowed new buildings new looks and streetscape design that helps keep our nice pedestrian flow emotionally and physically downtown.
1: What I can tell you for sure, Karen, is that that those there, I've heard those voices. The you know the certainly the issue about new construction and and how and the need for density and how you introduce that into historic district without negatively impacting the historic resources. So there will definitely be a, um, a dedicated, um, thoughtful narrative about what I have heard. Recommendations about. Um, what I'll try to do is pull the voices together and um, represent them accurately and offer some direction. Um, What I will also say is that I'll work with the city and you know we talk about this process as I do it there's continuing kind of refinement about okay this is what we've learned so maybe where we thought we were going to zig we should zag. So I'll talk to them about this idea of when it comes to the report how much or how far do I need or should I go um, in terms of precise recommendations and um, examples from other places. But we certainly take note of that. Thank you.
4: My name is Josh Mo and I am an architect here in Iowa City in downtown. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about um, storefronts versus upper levels. Because as you showed in your pictures, the storefronts of buildings change all of the time. We have some historic buildings that have gone through multiple different storefronts but the upper levels sort of stay the same. And I know different historians have different attitudes about the importance of the storefront and signage and the upper stories versus um, just context and continuity. I think I kind of understand your approach but I'd like to hear more about that just because we don't have many uh, storefronts that are originals and I don't know that uh, I think there's a misperception sometimes that original is historic uh, and I just wanted you to comment on that.
1: Sure. Um, so I'll do this Josh and then if, if I need to say more we'll talk more about it. Um, so, yes, yeah, storefronts change. I mean, you know, um, you can see it in your lifetime in Iowa City how many times a new business went into a storefront, and it's only logical that, that a popcorn uh, dealer, <laughs> is there a such thing as a popcorn dealer, um, and someone who sells clothes, what their storefront looks like is going to be very different or what they need in order to, to sell their wares Changes, um, and I think that's even more so now when there's a lot of retail competition with online um, uh, entities like Amazon. So retailers are constantly reinventing themselves, and they also want an identity, a brand that shows on their storefront. So they change, and you're right, they're. Um, very few historic storefronts in terms of original to the original building. I I don't know I don't know whether they exist. Some have been reconstructed so that their form is similar to what would have been historic, right? So let me just say that word historic. From the National Park Service relative to the National Register of Historic Places, 50 years is the guide for something being considered historic. Um, anything that you put on the national register or try to nominate to the national register that's less than 50 years old you have to make a special case for that and that does happen so if we are looking at a building where the where the upper stories um, look like they were built in 1880 and we have two storefronts and one storefront looks like it was built in Or rehab most recently in 1950 say and the other one was uh, last week Then we have this complex sort of um, Facade that we have to evaluate and so from the National Register perspective and local guideline perspective what we have to decide is as a whole and this would be what I'm trying to determine, whether it's a contributing resource to a historic district, a non-contributing resource, um, or individually eligible, we look at the building as a whole and decide whether or not, despite the alterations, whether or not it retains a level of historic integrity that allows it to continue to contribute to the significance of the district, if that's what we're talking about. Does that so far make sense? OK, so the the other thing, however, that changes is if we have a building that has two facades, and facade A, which is 50 years old, that building owner wants to do a historic rehabilitation and use federal funds to do it, and the person who has a newer storefront that's not historic, how that's evaluated in terms of the historic character is different for a historic tax credit program. And I think that's a little too much detail probably to go into, but I say that just so people understand that um, it's important to keep in mind that how you talk about historic character um, varies between National Register nominations and historic tax credit programs. Does that help? Did I tell you enough? No? What, what what, What more can I say?
4: so I wanted you to comment on
1: that. So, um, in case you missed the beginning, he the um, his point was that sometimes there's a perception that historic preservation projects don't allow changes to historic storefronts. And um, his position is that's not true. My position is that's not true. Um, wh- what I think probably the clearest way to say it is that If you were gonna make a change to your historic storefront, what you would want to do is to do it in such a way that it does not negatively impact the character of the whole, right? And so whatever the change is should respect the original opening, the proportion, the scale. Um, There are, um, there are, like the bones of the historic storefront, the upright columns, the knee walls or the bulkheads, the transoms, if those are in place and you're using federal money, they wouldn't allow you to to remove those, but they would allow you to work within an existing skeleton. So I think the bottom line and the answer to your question is there's a lot more wiggle room than it might often appear. Um, And the bottom line is, be respectful of the rest of the building. Thanks, Josh.
5: Hi there. Uh, My name is Quentin Mishek. I grew up in Iowa City and I work at the University of Iowa now. Um, I just want to say thank you for your presentation. It was really insightful and even though I grew up here, it's still amazing to see um, what we had and what we lost in the past. Um, I do want to, I feel like I should say this as a millennial, um, I do want to say my two cents and say that growth is still really important. Um, I grew up in Iowa City going to the Ped Mall, I still frequent the Ped Mall um, you know, for lunch, dinner, what have you, film scene. But I do recognize that for our city to grow and for it to attract and retain young people and young families, we have to have growth. So I think there's really uh, some great opportunities for growth downtown. I think uh, projects like Plaza Towers, Um, I mean, it was built on a library parking lot, right, at the time and has really added to the synergy of the PED Mall. Um, And I am personally in favor of some larger scale, taller buildings downtown while maintaining the store character um, that we have. I don't want to see us rest in our laurels and only have three and four story buildings um, if they are just, if they all look the same. So, thank you.
1: And I appreciate that comment, and that's, uh, that's certainly one of the, uh, the, the discussions now is, how, you know, how is historic scale relative to contemporary scale, and, and how do you marry those? Do you marry those? Um, you know, a placement and, and relationship of the street, and that's an important conversation, so I uh, appreciate you bringing that up, so thank you. Anybody else?
6: Okay, my name is Thomas Agrin, and um, disclosure here that I'm, I am serve on the Preservation Commission, um, and I also work for the Iowa City Downtown District, but I don't speak this evening for either of those organizations. Um, first off, just to respond to that, as a millennial, I would say that Paris holds all of their buildings at a certain height, and I think we generally agree that that's a pretty nice place as well. So I am in favor of big buildings too, but I just, food for thought. Um, one thing that we run into on the commission, or at least a strategy in the time that I've served on the commission, is that when we when a district is formed, it's ideal if the interest from that district or from the designation of a property as a historic landmark, whatever, comes from the people who own property in that district or own that building. Um, there are examples where that hasn't been the case. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna string together a few different thoughts here. So, you know, I the downtown, it was very hard to see, given the speculative value of the buildings and properties there, that that strategy would work very well. And I I do think that new buildings should be built as well, um, which is part of what gives those old buildings that elevated value. Um, I was in a meeting the other day where someone who owns property downtown, an older building, who put sunk a lot of money into fixing that building up, complained that the that A, it would have been cheaper to tear down the building and build a new one um, but also that there was a, uh, the building got taxed at a much higher level after that so he felt like he was being punished for um, having fixed up that building. So um, the last thing out of that which is maybe more of a comment is that when the, you know, these old buildings, I think, have this have a value to the community that exceeds the value to the, or is somehow dis- disconnected from the value that the building owner has because they might have other financial reasons they need to develop the property or interest in developing the property or whatever, and so if those buildings are really um, a, a piece of the architect you know an architectural piece of the vitality of downtown then. I would really like to see, you know, we as a community, as a government, throw resources at different projects, we give away uh, incentive bonuses and we change zoning and we give TIF funding, we do all kinds of things and it would be really nice to see if these buildings, if the community values these buildings more than maybe some of the individual building owners do, if there can be greater incentives, you know, a stronger hand from uh, the government in Iowa City to help make that change. So rather than twisting anyone's arm or you know, I don't know, if we can just somehow make a greater incentive and acknowledgement from the city that this is a core asset and while we can have bigger buildings built, especially on the many empty parking lots, surface street parking that we have, um, in Iowa City, yeah, more leadership from the government would be really great to see, I think.
1: I'm not sure how to respond to that. So, okay, um, I you know I hear what you're saying, and I and I have heard I have heard people um, concerned about. I mean, there's there's a whole thing about how you make historic buildings financially viable. All of those pieces that come into play about cost of maintaining them, making them. Um, the the retail space viable for today's retailers and not just the storefronts but the interior space. There's issues about the interior spaces being too long, and today's retail world needs to be closer to the front. And you know, you lose all of this usable space. And so, how do you think creatively about using the backs of these buildings? the The issues related to investing and then having taxes go up, feeling like that is you know counterproductive to, to having done it. So those issues are things that I've heard and um, but it's I appreciate you reiterating them, saying them out loud here for this group and the applause tells me that you've got more than one person who agrees with you.
7: Hi, my name is Annette and I grew up here in Iowa City. and um, I, I'm going to, more of what he was talking about the connection to the um, buildings. You know the versus the the, I don't know how to say it but all I need to say is that everywhere that I grew up no longer exists and that's really sad so the connection to buildings and spaces and places is very important and um, when I come to Iowa City coming here is a, a big part of is being downtown and coming through downtown and being connected and, it, and it's really hard to be here when it doesn't look the same. And um, the amount of economic development that's being taken place, that the amount of money that is being seen by the buildings is, is not the traditional Iowa City way. And Iowa City, although the businesses were here and people shopped and were connected to the businesses, that doesn't really seem to be um, a part of who we are anymore, and I don't. Um, it's more about what he was saying about the connection to the people and the and the buildings.
1: I think it's an important point because you you know we acknowledge that that the streetscapes change, but but we didn't acknowledge that the fact that that changes how we experience those spaces, but also how we. Um, How our identity changes It's discombobulating I don't know if that's the right word But sometimes when you go to a place that was so familiar Most of us have gone maybe back to our hometowns I grew up in Fort Dodge It looks nothing like it did And you do feel like that you've lost something And most of us uh, don't realize how um, I think it's hard to recognize that in the moment So thank you
8: I'm Dawn Eckrich And I'm from Iowa City, born and raised And uh, I just learned tonight that I'm historic since I'm over 50. (laughs) But um, I I have to agree with the lady that just spoke. Um, This is my home. My family worked here. Everybody went to school, farmed around here. It has been very hard for me to see buildings go down and um, glass and metal. structures go up and I've come to the conclusion that everything does change and that's helped me cope with this because this all has been downtown uh, change has been very hard for me personally Um, along with your study I would like to see the next study or part of your study be okay we have these historical buildings what type of building do we allow to be built that would complement them that's what I see as the biggest challenge the downtown area faces these buildings are old I mean thank the Lord we don't have a fire but it would be devastating to our downtown and so You know, can there be a complementary mix or such? Do you get my? I do.
1: Yeah. Because natural disasters happen, changes. Right, and and certainly part of the thinking and the listening and the recommendations are when new construction is appropriate. How 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 do you um, create some sort of a Mechanism or a, a way of thinking or approach, and it's not my job to, to determine guidelines. But my job is to provide some insight from the voices that I've heard about how people are feeling about that, and provide some recommendation. And where you know, then then it's out of my hands.
9: Hi, my name is Joe Dickens,
1: and I too was
9: raised in Iowa City, born. In fact, my grandparents, my great grandparents, grew up here. And just to give a little bit of different perspective from what we just heard is I love the fact that Iowa City has grown and changed and I like the growth we've seen downtown. My grandfather had his insurance business downtown so I remember what we used to be and I think we've improved. I think we are more vi- have more vitality and so I think some of us older people love to see the big buildings, love to see the glass, love to see the historical part of it, but that doesn't mean we can't coexist. And I hope that we continue on the growth pattern. We need it economically to survive. We've got a lot of competition out there from other people, from other community areas. And I think it's very important that we continue with our growth, coexisting new with the old.
1: Thank you for that. Anybody else? Right here.
4: <laughs> I'm Jim Swaim, married to uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I just wondered, uh, throughout your study, the, the pressures from the university for additional space is something that's, that's happening. There's a current property that's being looked at. You'll take that into account, I assume, but do you have experiences from other communities where the university is both an asset but also just puts pressure on existing properties downtown? Because, I mean, the university would love to have several more buildings downtown, and I just wondered if you could comment on that.
1: It, it's a unique situation in some ways. It's unique in my experience. The, the closest experience I'd ha- I've had to that is in Cedar Rapids where the hospitals are um, pushing into historic residential neighborhoods in particular. Um, and 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 I know some of the efforts that the city and the um, Historic Preservation Commission there have undertaken in order to try to... Um, make an end run around that. Um, I think that's different, however, because there's more of a, I think, more of a symbiotic relationship between the university and the city than there is between the hospital in Cedar Rapids and the city. Um, I, I am having a conversation with folks at the university, so I'll be able to get their perspective and and hear their position about that. But I do understand that's a concern. Um, and and they're a, they're a big institution, so it's certainly something that has to be part of the conversation.
3: Um, my name's Harry Olmsted, and I've noticed there's been interest in some of the businesses to have rooftop cafes. I'm wondering how you feel about that. Does it take away from the integrity and her historical factors? Um, so the issue of
1: rooftop, rooftop cafes is from a um, evaluating historic integrity perspective specific to whether something's eligible on the National Register is typically if you can stand on the street and not see then it's not considered to have a negative impact so it wouldn't keep a building from being counted as a Um, contributing resource or even an individually eligible resource provided that the historic integrity uh, other than that particular point is intact. Um, For me, it's a um, trend. It may well be a trend that ends at some point, I mean lots of trends blow themselves out after a while, but it's a hot trend and it's a trend that is um, Useful in terms of economics to downtown business owners So I think as long as it doesn't negatively impact the historic character. I think it's okay
3: Hi, my name is Mackenzie Krobe, and I'm the executive director at Old Brick um, downtown here We're outside the district, but we're on the National Register. I'm actually speaking as a former Main Street person And I'm wondering about the upper story counts. Is that going to be included in your survey? How many upper story units are in, like, the historic buildings? And is there opportunities for, you know, rehabbing those? And I think that's been, um, there's some that have been neglected, I think, in the downtown area. And so just talk, are you going to talk about that in your uh, report at all?
1: A survey of the um, upper stories is not part of this project. Um, I was trying to remember Bob we made a passing had a passing conversation about the issue of upper stories and I don't remember if you said there had been an upper story survey to know did we know how many potential housing units there are upstairs?
2: There hasn't been an, an official survey of the city, but uh, the city does has looked at some code uh, amendments that would allow it easier to reuse some of those spaces. And we've uh, passed some uh, zoning incentives like waiving parking requirements for reuse of existing buildings. So there are some tools in place to allow that to occur, and we've seen it in several buildings. So it's I think it's uh, turned out well in those buildings, such as the old, Gringo's Restaurant, that's upper floor is now an apartment. Above Jilda's Imports, that's now a couple of apartments. So it is something that is occurring.
1: I would add that in a couple of the conversations that I've had with folks, um, one point was made to me that, um, and actually it was kind of conflicting opinions, but. We have a lot of conflicting opinions, so I'll throw it out there. But um, there is the question of of livability downtown on second and third floors because of the activity downtown on the weekends. Um, And so to me, that's still a point of conversation. It it sounds as though it's a a more... um, Amenable to people in the plaza towers because of the upper, they're up far, far enough above the street level that it doesn't seem to be a problem. But someone did indicate they thought that that was a challenge to upper story living, unless it was students. Okay, you worn out yet? So next steps, I think um, we asked you to stay a part of the conversation and I hope that you put your name and contact information down so that we can keep you in the loop. If you have any questions for me directly, you can reach me through the city, or my website is akconsulting.com, and that's A-K-A-Y consulting.com. And I'm uh, very open to having you folks contact me and give me your thoughts or ask me questions. I certainly would welcome that. Thank you really very much, and we'll let you know what comes next.